0: In preparing my reflection for tonight, it struck me this year just how odd the incarnation is. Odd as it is this time of year when we proclaim peace and yet life on the Korean Peninsula is anything but peaceful. And yet closer to home, the commercial world comes to life with frenetic, stress-filled activity. Just ask anyone who works in retail, right? All the more pronounced as the economy begins to find its feet again. Reassuring is the incarnation at this time when at last our government ratifies a treaty that will take another step towards dismantling the dangerous legacy of the Cold War. It adds weight to this verse which has long been left out of tonight's passage from Isaiah, but here it is again for all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. Odd as we Christians gather to pray to the Christ child, while some of our more vociferous atheist sisters and brothers see Christmastide as a critical time to make more public statements. There were billboards this year along the highways of New York City which said you know it's a myth, don't you? And then a Roman Catholic group bought out some billboards a little bit further down the road which said You know it's real, don't you? One of my colleagues pointed out, I think rightly, that would all that money have been spent for the homeless who sheltered under those billboards this winter? Or there's an entry on the Wall Street Journal blog recently by the comedian Ricky Gervais, a wonderfully funny and insightful essay about his being an atheist and about why he constantly feels he must be on the defensive, about why God doesn't exist, about how crazy some atheists think we really are. Odd, indeed, that the story of a little baby born in a small town in Judea 2,000 years ago, an image at face value that might be a little bit sweet, comforting perhaps, but distant, how that becomes a source of discomfort, I want to say to our friend Ricky Gervais, methinks thee dost protest too much. Reassuring, perhaps, then, that the Incarnation still means something, even to those who most heartily deny it any value or meaning in our post-Enlightenment, post-Christian, post-modern, post-industrial, post-everything world. Odd that our messages of joy are lifted up at this time, even as we know some whom we most dearly love face considerable suffering, trial, pain, and even death. Reassuring that Jesus was born into that, as well. We Christians have wrestled with the oddity of the Incarnation for as long as we've called ourselves Christian. The stories of Luke and Matthew and the theologizing of John, which comes this Sunday, are not finished bits of history or well-studied, carefully weighed measurements of empirical science. Rather, they reflect communities of Christians wrestling with the meaning of Jesus Christ and the stories that surrounded him from the beginning. How he touched and continued to touch generation to generation the lives of people, people like us, on spiritual pilgrimage. Atheists are right to refer to these stories as myths but we understand them as myth in the very best sense of the word. Myth that embraces one of the deep mysteries of our faith, that profound sense of God with us in the muck and the straw of our stabled lives, the fleshy, fallible, and sometimes stinky nature of human existence. God with us in our best moments, and perhaps even more importantly, in our worst. We have wrestled with the oddity of a God who needed to be changed from soiled swaddles, vulnerable to disease, to tyranny, and all the uncertainties every human being faces. So much so that our key doctrinal statements are ancient creeds, had to very clearly establish that Jesus was born of a woman and yet fully divine. It had to be established in writing in black and white because, if you think about it for very long, it's an offense to the ancient philosophical ideals of a perfect, unassailable God. It's also an offense to the elevated humanism of a parallel but equally ancient understanding of a godless, ultimately meaningless life. You take those two ancient understandings together and they form a dualism that haunts us, a dualism that threatens to divorce us in our own hearts and minds from our bodies. That threatens to split the spiritual from the soil and grime and sensuality of this life, puts God out there somewhere, either in the gaps of our knowledge, however vast they are, or in some lofty incredible heaven that defies our logic, experience, and reason. The trouble is neither are big enough ideas, To contain our God. Nor are they real enough for us. The Incarnation resolves this dualism. In fact it shatters it completely with the cries of a newborn, a newborn God, a newborn reality that pulls the stardust and messiness of our lives into a cosmic womb and births it anew infused with divinity from before time. If at the one end of our Christian journey stands the cross with Jesus' arms outstretched to a world in love, then it is at this end this night that we behold Jesus as a fragile embodiment of that same love. Fragile because he is vulnerable to our cynical hearts and our tendency to dominate and control what we don't understand. This divine love beholds, beholds all of our wanton, craven messiness and embraces it. For instance, the cats outside my office fighting as I wrote this. The impatience of today's line at the coffee shop or the grocery store, many of you were there. The homeless begging for a place at table or a scrap of bread or a coin or two our irritation with our short existence, our impatient imperfections. And then again, our great art, our science and our history, our civilizations, our cherished family stories, our striving for something magnificent in a capricious universe. This divine love beholds all of that and then deigns to be born into it, to become one with it, to embrace it so completely that even God is somehow changed for us from a philosophical abstraction or a thundering primitive caricature of a deity into an embodied transformative presence that lives and acts in the very substance of our lives. Our quibble as Christians with atheistic utterances that God does not exist is an old one rooted in the Incarnation. Put another way, I don't believe in the God they don't believe in either. God does not exist as a provable, measurable thing, like a chair or a desk outside of us. God is. God is the root of Isness, if you will. That's what the birth of Jesus says to me. Our humanity is because God has embraced it so utterly that every reality is part of God's reality now. We can't measure God empirically, not because he is an absent watchmaker, as our American deism would have it, but because every measurement itself is predicated on an assumption of reality, that is God. Without God, there is no measuring stick. In fact, we Christians say there would be nothing to measure. There would be nothing without God. God exists. God is too small to be my God. If we are real, then God is the reality upon which our lives are. So Christmas reminds us that we are too. More than mere existences, we are. We are touched by the divine hand much more than the outstretched reach of Adam to a bearded deity, as in Michelangelo's depiction of the old story in the Sistine Chapel. We are touched, says the incarnation from head to toe, from birth to death, from virtue to foible, by a God who loves us so much that nothing, nothing will be left untouched. Our faith then is that our evolving lives are constantly and consistently infused with this blessing, so much so that our life, whether we choose to recognize it or not, hinges on this love. And there are no words adequate to describe this dependence, and no suffering, no pain, no work of humanity or crash of the cosmic dance, can utterly break our bond with this God who is born one of us who is part of our DNA, our bones, our ancestry, our past, our present, and our future. Faith in incarnation is not belief in an abstraction, but an embrace of the fullness of reality, known and unknown, reality that is God in Christ's. The birth of the Messiah is God's first great reminder to us, and all creation, that we are loved. Full stop, as Desmond Tutu would say, body and soul, spirit and flesh, creature, child, healthy and infirm, rich and poor, old and young, remembered and forgotten, saint and sinner, long gone and yet to be born, a love that is perfected as it is whispered in the quietude of an infant sleeping. The eyes of wonder of a holy mother, the watchful gaze of a devoted father, the reverent observance of shepherds and animals and angels. Love that is preparing to overturn everything we thought that was, even death itself, recast the cosmos and all our being yet again. For a God who has loved us into life, into being itself, a constant reminder that we will never be alone.